Hey guys, this is Kevin Can on Boston Strongcast. I'm joined today by our mostly behind the scenes executive producer, Alyssa Orlando. Hi everyone. Hi, Hi Kevin. Um, so I guess today Alyssa is actually going to be grilling me <gasps> questions and it's 9 a.m. <laughs> a Wednesday morning, which it's pretty early. Um, yep. So hopefully the pot of coffee helps in. I can answer the questions to to the best of what you're looking for from me, Alyssa. Yeah, I I was just telling Kevin I haven't even finished my one coffee yet. So I feel like maybe my English might be a little lost in translation this morning. But hopefully, you know, we can get all of our points across and try to finish this thing. Yeah, well, I don't do anything until I drink a pot of coffee. So this would not have happened if Mm. I still had coffee. Interesting. Like that's, that's my early morning, relaxing start to my day. I don't do anything before I'm able to sit down, relax, drink my coffee. Well, like how, how many cups in this pot are we talking? Uh, like on the actual pot, like where it measures it, like eight to 10. So it'll fill up my, I think my Starbucks Boston mug is like 16 <laughs> ounces. So I'll fill okay. that up you know, about two and a half to three times. Okay. Okay. That's, it's not that much coffee, honestly. And I don't put as many scoops as I'm supposed to in, into the coffee because uh, I'll probably die of a heart attack. Yeah, if that's, that's true. So I make sure it's, it's a hair watered down. I always heard that it was supposed to be one tablespoon per cup of water. Yeah, exactly. But my mom, when I, she came to visit last month, she was telling me that she only does one scoop for every three cups of water. And I was like, mom, you're drinking dirty water like that's not even coffee at that point she's like i don't know we drink a whole pot every day like oh my gosh like (laughs) it's a little better for your health yeah that's i I guess that's probably true all right let's get started so today we are talking about so if you didn't see on instagram which you may or may not have um kevin has written a book uh i didn't even know kevin knew enough words to write a book just checking just kidding. I have multiple uh, degrees, Alyssa. That's messed up. <laughs> um, but so Kevin wrote a book. And so we're the book is about uh, precision powerlifting systems, the training methodology behind it, and how Kevin kind of runs his programming for his athletes. So um, I figured today we this would be a good time to talk about uh, some new changes that have happened with precision powerlifting systems since we did our last looking ahead to 2018 recap. Um, things have definitely moved full speed ahead, but then just and then talking about you know what the book is about what Kevin thinks the best parts of the book, if there's anything he wishes he would have included in this last section. Um, So yeah, let's get started. So Kevin, you have gone basically full-time with Precision Powerlifting Systems since January. Um, So it's the middle of February right now. So how has the first month of, you know, really running the team full-time been? To be honest, it's been pretty crazy. Like it, everything happens pretty quickly. Um, and even like up to this point, I'm not so sure I'm even settled in to all the changes that have happened. Um, but all in all, I think moving forward, the timing of when it's done, because there, there weren't any outside of my meet, there aren't any, you know, and Kerry doing the Arnold, there aren't a lot of big meets coming up. So everybody can kind of get used to the changes and stuff. But um, me just trying to get settled in, get everybody organized, get myself organized. It's been, 
pretty chaotic for the uh, first month, but I think moving forward uh, for us, it's going to be a lot better. So before I had the position of head coach, I was director of strength and conditioning at Total Performance Sports. So there were a lot of other factors uh, that I had to take care of for my the duties of my job. Um, you know, I had to do method consults. Anybody interested in joining a program in the gym, I had to sit with. Um, and there were just a lot of other managerial tasks that took me away from being able to put 100% of my effort into coaching the group. So now that I've separated and started uh, doing the whole precision powerlifting systems thing full time, 100% of my attention is going towards coaching this group. Like literally, that is all I do right now. And of course, like, you know, trying to drum up content uh, to grow a business and stuff like that. But primarily, I'm sitting out in that gym and I am watching everybody squat, bench and deadlift five days a week. Um, so from that perspective, the fact that I can spend more time, uh, developing the lifters, um, stuff like that, I think everybody's totals are going to increase because of it. Definitely. Do you think, so you've started taking distance athletes as well in the last month. Um, I know we had a couple on the team before, but you know, taking more online clients, do you think that will change the dynamic of the way that the team operates? Um, or do you think there's a still a long time before that happens? So I think originally it did actually change the way the team operates without people really noticing. But I had Dave and I had Kina uh, that I messed around with for the online coaching thing because I hadn't done it before. I wasn't too sure I wanted to even go that route or needed to go that route. Uh, so they were kind of guinea pigs in this whole process. But I think what it taught me as a coach, having people – lifting that were further away from me. I can't control everything that they're doing. They send me videos usually when they're done. Sometimes it's kind of um, almost like a live stream, like they're sending me the videos as they're being completed and stuff. So it's a little more uh, intimate in that aspect. But it, it taught me patience, like knowing that, you know, it's not going to be fixed today as long as every, every day or set or whatever we're looking to change gets better over time we're in a good spot. So it kind of taught me to have more patience with my in-person um, coaching group. So it allowed me to be able to coach more than say, you know, three, four, five people at one time. Uh, it, it allowed me to, you know, I might go up to you and be like, Hey, Alyssa, you know, here's some feedback on this last set. You need to work on that on your next few sets. And then I can watch other people and mm -hmm. like, I can still see you from a distance, see you working on it. And as long as that improves over time, Everything kind of takes care of itself. I think moving forward, if I get more uh, distance coaching athletes, I'm, you know, I haven't totally decided on how many I'm going to take, but I'm going to be more on the conservative side in the beginning just to make sure I don't get overwhelmed with it. Uh, but I do think it'll uh, change a little bit. But I think what we've been able to do in the past is like Dave was a part of the group, even though he was never here. And I kind of want to make sure that still happens. So even mm -hmm. though they're training from a distance and Kina, like everybody knew Kina before they <laughs> even went and handled her in December, like before yeah. her meet or whatever. So, you know, I do want to make sure that that's still happening. Obviously it's going to be more difficult because, you know, one of the distance coaching athletes I picked up is from Germany. So, you know, trying to make sure we're still a team and we're still doing, um, the stuff that brings everybody together, I think will be the biggest challenge moving forward, but I don't see there being, 
much change to the culture of in-person training. Yeah, and I agree. And I think that also helps um, athletes train, um, just learning how to take feedback and criticism and implement it yourself. I think as an athlete, that's like a very good skill to have because you are able to, you know, look at your training from an external perspective. And sometimes it's necessary just to be able to step back and critique yourself. And so instead of getting critique, you know, like we've talked about on every single lift with every single aspect of the lift, taking one thing at a time and implementing it, I think that will help people. Um, especially because not all of us are able to train in person all the time. It's just not feasible uh, with everybody's schedule. So I do think that that is important and something we can probably learn and take advice from the online clients as well. I think too, the key word that you said there is athlete. Mm-hmm. So you're not a coaching client, you're an athlete. Yeah. And to be an athlete, you need to lift as as an athlete you need to be able to identify where stuff's breaking down make the adjustments focus on the things to make improvements it's my job to coach and stuff don't get me wrong yeah. i'll give you the feedback on what's going wrong um we'll put the right exercises at the right intensities at the right reps in, in your program to fix these things but you are an athlete and i think a lot of times like how you mentioned the coaches who will sit there and just critique every little thing that you're doing on every mm-hmm. little rep uh, you develop this like paralysis by analysis. It's almost like the lifter becomes scared to lift and they're waiting for the coach to tell them everything. Mm-hmm. So they, they become reliant on the coach to lift and that should not be the case. Like you need to be an athlete first and you know, I'll do my job, you do your job. And that's yeah. how things tend to progress at the best rates. I'm laughing over here because on Monday, Mike was telling us about how he went on a ski trip with his work and they were asking him about his powerlifting and he was just telling them over and over again that he was an athlete, but in like a Mike way, he was just like whipping his head around and he was like, I'm an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> so I do, I do like the ability to, you know, still call yourself an athlete, even though most of us on the team have either graduated from college or been working for a long time. Um, We do have some younger athletes now, but just thinking about ourselves in more of that setting, I think it helps set like the, the mood, if you will. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, one, 100%. I think the attitude of how to attack training, I think Uh, if you think of it from an athlete perspective, I think it definitely, it's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So have you had to change anything that you do specifically in order to help the team succeed at all? I think, you know, just the change was me doing it full time. Um, So there were times where, you know, like you were mentioning before, everybody's schedules are kind of all over the place. So there were times when I was at TPS that, you know, somebody might come in to lift, but I had other obligations that I had to take care of. So I wouldn't see their lifts and I would be reviewing videos with them later on. So now I don't need to do that. Um, So I can watch everybody's lifts all the time. And I I think that's going to be the biggest uh, change moving forward. And it's not so much me giving feedback on each mm-hmm. set. I mean, there is some value to live feedback because um, every once in a while, something just looks a little wonky that hasn't been happening. And sometimes a lifter doesn't realize it. You just get them to refocus their attention. It gets better. Um, but more for me being able to watch every set in person, it becomes easier for me to write a program later on. Yeah. So a lot of the times, like when I'm standing back and just watching everybody lift, 
Um, I'm, I'm looking for certain things and you know, it tells me, all right, so I know we're taking 80% for triples multiple times in a block. Um, looks hard the first time, but I start to see the progress happening. Maybe it's time to add some weight or something's breaking down once I get a little tired. So maybe we need to add in a different variation to kind of work on the weakness in this lift a little more. Like it, it just gives me a lot more feedback to be able to write everybody's programs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And obviously then that helps us in the end. Right? So. Exactly. Um, so tell me about, and I kind of know this already, but I guess tell the listeners about what does the meet schedule look like for the team coming up this year? Um, I know we've added a lot of lifters in the last, you know, two or three months. Um, a lot of them are first time competitors or getting back on the platform after a long time away. So what does your weekend schedule look like this year? Oh, you're stressing me out. It's 9.15 in the morning. Uh, <laughs> So I compete a week from Sunday. So that'll be the first one. Uh, February, I think it's 25th is the date. Uh, Bob and Dylan will also be competing at that one. Uh, I'm actually, I'm looking forward to that one too, because some of the cousins will, uh, will be competing also. So it'll be fun to step on the platform with them. Uh, then the week after, I reluctantly get on an airplane and I will be flying to Columbus with Kerry. And we have the Arnold. I think she lifts Friday morning. Yes. Which I'm looking forward to the lifting part, just not the flying part. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, and for her, I think you're finally starting to see, you know, the next evolution of lifter. Like mm -hmm. you have your beginners who just come in, they're working on technique stuff. Uh, you know, that gets good enough to qualify for nationals. You know, then you do well enough at nationals, you qualify for the Arnold. And, you know, Carrie's starting to dip her toes into that, that pond of lifters. So I think it's going to be an exciting um, meet for her because she's going to be sharing the platform with some of the best lifters in the country. And, yeah. you know, as long as progress continues to happen at some point, you know, maybe some of you will be tipping your, you know, like you, Alyssa, will be tipping your toes in the water when she's a more elite lifter. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm starting to see the growth of the people who started with me two years ago, starting to make those next bigger strides. So, you know, that, that's exciting to see, yeah. uh, regardless of what the results show at the Arnold. Yeah. I uh, think one thing that is interesting about that is I think so often a lot of people forget um, that in order to reach, you know, like the level that Carrie's at right now, like she's been lifting for like four or five years and didn't even do her first competition until like at least a year after she had been lifting. Um, and people tend to forget that in order to make that kind of progress. And I know a lot of the lifters on our team really respect Carrie and like use her as motivation to, to be able to get better. But thinking about, you know, she didn't just qualify for the Arnold after six months of lifting. That's unless you are very talented and gifted from the beginning. That's not really how any sport works, especially in powerlifting. So I think it's just, it's cool to have like that evolution on the team and to be able to understand that like you could get there at one day, but you need to be able to work hard consistently. Otherwise like that progress is never going to be made. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you just said, like some people who qualify for something like the Arnold really quickly or do really well at nationals, their first time there. I think what people forget to realize is a lot of these people played sports in college and had a strength and conditioning 
background mm-hmm. in the gym. So it's yeah. not like it's their first time picking up a barbell. Exactly. Like, you know, everything that they've done up until that moment has led to them being good at the sport. Um, of course, there are going to be genetic freaks and stuff. But the one cool thing about powerlifting is it doesn't matter if you're a genetic freak or not. Like, if you're not built for this sport, you just have to work a little harder and a little longer to get there. And maybe you have to be a little bit smarter so that you stay healthy. But the opportunity is there for everyone. And I think that's what makes it, like for me, a really interesting uh, sport in general. Um, after Kerry does the Arnold, uh, Dave is competing March 11th. Uh, just a small local meet. I think it's close to his home in Florida. I don't think he's traveling very far for that. Uh, You know, and like Dave, somebody who hasn't been lifting that long powerlifting wise, but he played football in in college. So he had picked up a barbell, you know, which is why his squad and his deadlift are good, but his bench sucks. Dave, you got to pick up your bench, man. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. Dave actually, since nationals has put 25 or 30 pounds on his bench. Jesus Uh, Christ. Yeah. Dude's an animal. I can't. So he hit 308. He had hit 315 in the gym, hit 308 at nationals. We tested it when he came out around New Year's and he hit 340. So everything on the bench is moving in the uh, in the right direction for him to get there. But he's still a beginner power lifter. So he's kind of, he's an interesting one to coach because he hasn't been doing this for very long. His technique when we started wasn't very good, but his total was pretty freaking good. Um, so, you know, usually when I have beginners like, you know, like Kelly, Val, Bev, it's easy because their intensity is going to be a little bit lower. Uh, you know, their volume is going to be a little bit lower and it's just going to be getting good with lighter weights and that yields bigger gains and stuff like that. But with somebody like Dave, who's already squatting over 600, pulling over 650, when you're a beginner, there's kind of like a little bit of both going on in there at times. And, um, you know, getting it to move, move forwards. We had to go backwards at first just to fix some technique stuff to actually make those jumps forward. And like, he's starting to kind of get in a groove now where we're going to hit more heavier weights more often because his techniques yeah. cleared up and stuff like that. Um, but he's an interesting one. And then after that, a couple weeks later, so April 8th, this is a really local meet for us. It's like 20 minutes away. Uh, it's basically our newbie meet. So we have, I don't know, half a dozen or so uh, beginner powerlifters that will be doing their first meet. So there should be a lot of tears, a lot of smiles. A lot of <laughs> uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Like first meets are the most fun to coach because it's not, there's not any pressure on the lifters. And like when they go in there, it just looks like, like they, the look on their face is like somebody just punted their dog across the room. And then by the end of it, like everybody's smiling and having a good time and they're kind of sold in the sport. So uh, that'll be a lot of fun. And then the end of the month, so April 28th, uh, that's when I'm going to get everybody who's kind of on that national level uh, total is going to be lifting in this one. So the ones who haven't qualified are going to be competing with the ones already qualified in hopes of everybody getting on the same meet schedule mm-hmm. as we're halfway to October by that point. Uh, so... Uh, Kerry's not going to compete at that one just because she's doing the Arnold, but we got Danielle Bond, Nick Santangelo, uh, Dave's doing March 11th, so he won't be at that one. Mike, Mike will be competing at that one. And then Danielle Garcia, who, if everything goes well, could qualify for nationals. Alyssa, you're in the same boat. 
as Danielle Garcia, and I feel I'm forgetting somebody. Uh, Emo Danielle. Emo Danielle. She's got a lot of work cut out, so I think it's, um, you know, there are a lot of things that have to happen in a positive direction by April 28th in order for her to hit that qualifying total. Um, But it'll be there at some point. Uh, it's, you know, and I think this is, uh, I think she's a good example of things too, is, you know, don't rush things mm-hmm. like she's going to be really close. Um, you know, but you always want your gym total to have a little bit of a buffer zone in case anything goes wrong on meet day, you know, you cut a squat high or you miss a lift or you miss mm-hmm. some commands or something that shouldn't happen happens, you know, it becomes more difficult in those situations because every lift has so much pressure and on a uh, meet with nine lifts when you're still a beginner to intermediate lifter, that's, it's something really tough. Um, But like I said before, no matter how you're built for this sport in time, things will happen. Don't rush it. Stay the course, trust the process. um, And everything will work out. Alex, Alex is competing April 28th. She should also qualify uh, for nationals. And then after April 28th, I think May is going to be a quiet month. Thank freaking God. And June 2nd will be the next one. And we'll have a few people competing at that one. I'm sure that list will grow as time goes on. And then I haven't decided about regionals yet. How do you feel about regionals this year? What are we, do we, do we still like the eight weeks out from nationals? Do we like the timing of the meet? I don't know how I feel about it. I don't mind the timing of the meet. I think people put too big of a emphasis on the timing of the meet, you know, okay. just because you're competing, right? Like, you know, Nick and Kerry last year both competed at regionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kerry did fine. Like Nick did great at regionals. Yeah. Nationals could have gone a little better. Um, I don't think it was too much because you don't have to ball out every time you go onto a platform, you can strategically compete. Like, I, I think there's no better practice for a meet, especially eight weeks out. Like, I think the timing's great to have judges of the same federation watch your lifts and give you commands as you're hitting heavier weights. You could always take 90% as third attempts, which is something very reasonable. And then you're back to training. You know, you compete on Saturday, Sunday, you're back to training on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of it, but I think everybody every time, and I think part of this just comes with the way social media is. Social yep. media is a goddamn highlight reel for everybody's PRs and stuff. Oh, like that. yeah. For like, sure. so, you know, you want to go out there and be like, oh, I hit all these PRs at regionals. But like at the end of the day, regionals is, it's a bullshit meet that the USAPL promotes to be bigger than what it is just to get <laughs> lifters to make money. I mean, let's, let's be honest. You yeah. don't, need it, you don't need it to qualify for nationals. Yeah. You're probably better off doing some small local meet, but the judging is probably less strict. And, you know, the flights are they take a little longer and you get a little, little bigger rest at times. Like I think, you know, that's a better bet to qualify, to qualify for nationals and trying to get a top three wilts. Yeah. I think the one thing that is interesting, you just said it is the, the change in regionals from the top lifter in every class getting a bid to nationals to the top three men and the top three women based on Wilk score. Um, I think that's interesting only because, um, And I would be curious to see if I know last year, if the person who won the weight class already had qualified and registered for nationals, that the bid would go to the second, the second place lifter. It didn't. Um, It didn't. Nope. Kerry won the 52s and uh, Patria who goes to TPS and did not get a bid. 
Interesting. So I guess if people are using it for a tune-up meet, then that kind of defeats the purpose of having that, right? Um, so I would be interested if maybe in future years, I know that their intention was for lifters who had not qualified for nationals to compete at regionals um, because of the way that the bid structure was. So I would be interested to see if in future years they might change that so that that those become true wildcard bids, right? Um, so that lifters who win regionals could go to nationals. Maybe if their qualifying total is 20 pounds less than the QT. I don't know. Just, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that. Like yeah. I feel there's already more than enough lifters that go to nationals. Oh, agree. It's not like other sports where that wild card bid has a chance of winning. Mm-hmm. Like literally as long as somebody in the top freaking 30 in a weight class hits their openers, they have no chance of winning. Like, That's fair. You know, I get, it's just, yeah. for, it's the, just for them to get more meat fees. I, uh, I like the idea of regionals being a tune up for nationals. Like me as a coach, I think it's great because it's run a little bit differently than local meets. It's bigger. There's more judges. There's two mm-hmm. platforms. There's more people watching. So I think it's a great tune-up for nationals for the people who are already qualified. Um, And I don't think you can ever make it just – you have to go through regionals to qualify, like something like that, because your numbers for nationals would drop off uh, significantly. I think – I like the idea of it in that aspect. Um, But uh, as a competitive meet, I think it's it's completely lacking in (laughs) – some of those areas and yeah i mean it just it doesn't matter at the end of the yeah. day what happens at regionals yeah i know the the intent is for at some point the regional structure to be maybe not mandatory but more mandatory than it is now so i guess we'll see how that progresses in future years um i know they've also talked about changing the the timing of raw nationals to be more in line with regionals and worlds so having raw nationals like in january or whenever the other national meets are like canadian nationals is coming up this week um so just changing that a little bit to be able to accommodate meet cycles from regionals and internationals so or into worlds rather so i guess we'll see what that looks like um and then after regionals is just basically nationals, right? And then local meets in the winter. Yeah. So yeah, nationals in October, I'm sure there'll be other meets kind of sprinkled in there at times, but that right now is the pre-written meet schedule for our group cool. for now. Awesome. Um, so kind of switching gears, you wrote a book. I did. What prompted you to want to write a book? So at first, it just started as I wanted something, you know, so I started when I started working with Boris Shiko. So the fact that I have such a legendary coach, I wanted to make sure that I was learning all I could from him. So anytime we had an email conversation or I had questions, like I just, or, you know, I saw trends starting to form my pro like I just I started writing things down and over time the writing things down turned into a 102 page book um and I've been writing it a little over a year awesome in general yeah a little over a year so what is the give us a brief overview an insider's look into the book all right well 
it's a story about a 32 year old kid <coughs> walked into the gym one day. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so basically what it is, is it's all the information that I've gathered from uh, two seminars with Boris, a training uh, in-person training session that I've had with him two and a half years of working with him and two and a half years of working with lifters. Um, so, you know, obviously it's heavily influenced by his methods. There are some things that we do a hair differently than I get in my programs. And I, you know, I think where he's developed his methods, you know, in Russia, it's, a lot of these guys have been lifting since they were 13 years old and we don't necessarily have that here in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, so like you guys get heavier weights than I get in general, um, already. Uh, so that stuff's structured a little bit differently. I get a little more volume than you guys with lighter weights. Um, but there are some differences in there, not many, and it's basically minutia, but those are kind of, uh, laid out in there as well um mm -hmm. so there's a 12 week program now this program's not like i didn't build it to, so everybody's smashing prs or it's not necessarily it's not ego boosting yeah it's not ego boosting it's not a program that like i care about you guys hitting prs uh, with it's something i wrote down so you can see the structure of it you can mess around with some of the variations um, I just, I wanted it to be more of an example of what we do and, you know, cause what we do, it's extremely individualized. So writing a program for the masses is kind of horseshit. It doesn't really work that way. Like, you know, and the needs of a lifter changes over time. So even mm -hmm. something that's individualized for you now, Alyssa is not going to work at some point. We're going to have to make adjustments to it. So I just mm -hmm. I wanted something that you could see the structure, the typical volume that we do, some of the variations, and then from there, like run the 12 weeks, how it is. And then from there, just make, make the necessary adjustments and follow the rules in the book. But there's, it's laid out. So I, I go over how to determine appropriate volumes, intensities, uh, exercise selection. So there's chapters on technique. It's pretty brief, but there's still, you know, enough to focus on that allows you to identify weaknesses within the lips mm -hmm. and select the appropriate exercise exercises. Um, I put a list at the end of all the variations that we use. Um, I'm sure Boris's list might be a hair different. Um, he might have some stuff that I haven't used. There's some stuff on there that I use that I've never had. Um, but it, it meat selections, how to warm up, how to pick attempts, all of that stuff is in there. Uh, so what, no matter what level of power lifter you are, like a beginner, there's enough stuff in there that you can kind of lay the foundation and build, build a plan and intermediate and advanced lifters. There might be, you know, a couple of things you pick up on that's a little bit differently done that you can add to your programs and stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, is there anything, and I already know the answer to this, is there anything that you left out of the book? Yeah, of course. Um, I can't give out all of my secrets. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's definitely some stuff left out. Um, one of the things that I left out is I actually keep track of intensity zones and how many repetitions are performed in each one for each lifter. Uh, so for example, zone one is 50 to 59%, zone two, 60 to 69, 
three would be 70 to 79, 80 to 89, 90 and above. Um, so over time, when I'm controlling volumes, I do kind of pay attention to that stuff. Of course, like average intensity includes all of that in there, but it's not as in depth. So there's some bigger breakdown stuff that I didn't put in there. Uh, yeah, there, there's a few things. <laughs> so how can people go about getting this book if they are interested in it? So right now, uh, you can get it. It's available in Kindle format on Amazon, uh, February 21st. The pre-order is going on now. Okay. So pre-order price is $19.99. After that, the price, after uh, February 20th at midnight, the price is going to go up. Um, but I feel it's a very reasonable price for something with 102 pages of information from, you know, what I've gathered from Boroshiko. I, yeah. you know, my education and experience in this field in general. Um, so yeah, Amazon for now, I, I'm kicking around the idea of doing a print copy, not sure where I'm going to do it. I definitely want to make sure I hammer down like a logo and good cover art and stuff like that first. Yeah. Um, but I do plan on doing that. I just don't know when it probably will not be anytime soon. <laughs> so get the ebook. Yeah. Get the ebook is the message. Right. <laughs> uh, anything else before we sign off? No, I mean, I think I want to say thanks to Jeff at RX Strength and Conditioning. It's in Somerville. It's a really, it's a great gym. Jeff, Jeff is a genuinely nice human being, somebody who's just great to be around. Mm -hmm. He runs uh, two separate classes there. So, you know, it's basically for like the general population. I call them the look good naked crowd. Like they just want to be... <laughs> a little stronger, lose some weight, uh, but they do some lifting stuff. So you'll squat, you'll deadlift, they do overhead press, they bench. And, you know, they have a lot of, if you're into this kind of thing, fun conditioning stuff. So they'll toss around kettlebells, they'll push prowlers. Uh, Jeff has some like unique things that he's had the group do that looks like it's a lot of fun. They have fun generally. Um, you know, I'm probably yeah. not my target demographic is probably not uh, people looking for that type of thing. But if you know someone who does send them down to uh, Jeff at, uh, yeah. at Somerville and thanks Jeff. But I think, and I can attest that Jeff is like this seriously the nicest human being on planet earth. But um, I think it is one thing to think about is that we are all power lifters on precision, but we also have, you know, family members and, different people in our lives who we want to see while we're working out. Um, one example is we have a former TPS member, Brent, who is just training in some of the classes at RX. He doesn't train with us, but it's super awesome to be able to see him and catch up with him while we're both at RX. So I think it definitely is something, you know, if you're thinking about joining powerlifting and you're interested in joining our team, but you're like, oh, I don't want to leave my mom at home while I go work out for three hours. Well, you could bring her with you. That's, so. that's a good point. Also, uh, we're, do we're dog friendly, right? <laughs> yes, we are. We are very dog friendly, so I can attest to. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. If you don't have anything else, we can sign off. Uh, I got to go get ready to uh, go hit up some double Danielle's on a deadlift oh. day. Oh, geez. Double. Does that triple D? I don't know. Not triple D. Danielle Bond's at work, but... Nurse no, Danielle, and Danielle, Danielle, Danielle deadlift. Like, mm. oh yeah, 
That yeah. could be. Yeah. A lot I of just Danielle. made that. A lot of Danielle. Yeah. All right. Sign us off. You're done? You have no I'm, thoughts, Alyssa. I have no thoughts. I, I, have, I, have, I, have, I have. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> have you ordered my book? I have not ordered your book. <laughs> and, that is, and that is because I have the manuscript in my Google Drive. <laughs> um, but I, I will order the book. I will, I, will, I will gift it to someone. All right. There we go. That's even better. If right. anybody can't afford Kevin's book, hit me up. I'll buy it for you. <laughs> so everybody hit up Alyssa. No, please don't. I don't everybody that wins in that except Alyssa. I already pay too many people too much money to boss <laughs> me around. All right. I'm out of here. Stay strong, Boston. Bye, guys. <laughs>